for every minute of every day since July 2nd, 1937, soldiers from the 3rd Infantry Division of the United States Army have stood guard at Arlington National Cemetery, which is home to the tomb of the unknown soldier. When a guard comes on duty, he walks exactly 21 steps across the tomb, representing the 21-gun salute, which is the highest honor given to any military or foreign dignitary. When he turns, he faces the tomb and remains in that position for 21 seconds. He turns again and walks 21 steps across the tomb. When he completes that short journey, he stops, turns toward the tomb, and pauses for another 21 seconds. Over and over, the guard will repeat that process until his shift is completed. It's nearly impossible to discern the movement of the soldier's head or weapon. With an average age of 22, these young enlisted men and women prepare for weeks to have their turn at guarding the tomb. They will be assigned to groups by their height, and no more than two inches will separate those who take responsibility for duty shifts. Strict training ensures that the guard will be unflinching and unwavering in duty, no matter the heat of summer, no matter the driving rain of December, or the frozen snow of February. Most importantly of all, the guard will remain posted and the steps will remain perfect, even when there is not another soul in sight, even when no one is watching. The guard remains diligent through the night. If you want to join this group, you will have to learn to walk a new way. To miss a single step when it's your turn to guard the tomb is to miss the opportunity to stand with those who have stood before you. Their mission is honorable. Inside the tomb of the unknown at Arlington Cemetery are the bodies of men who gave their lives for the freedom we know. Outside and surrounding the tomb of the unknown are more than a quarter of a million graves of others who gave their lives in service to our country. Beyond that single cemetery are thousands upon thousands of cemeteries in the U.S. and around the world where the bodies are reminders that our freedom is not free at all. Instead, it came with a fierce and terrible price tag, and such a sacrifice is worth a 24-hour guard seven days a week, 12 months out of the year. Now imagine if you were asked to guard the tomb. You would not walk in the same way you always walk. With great honor, you would follow in the footsteps of the one who walked before you. The reality is that you and I have been called to a sacred position with more honor than the guard at Arlington National Cemetery. Those of us who name the name of Christ have been called to walk in a certain way, a way that will distinguish us from the world. I'd like for you to turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4. I'll begin reading in verse 1 of Ephesians 4. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, 
who is over all and through all and in all. The Apostle Paul penned those words. In Ephesians 4, he uh, gives us an initial glimpse of what the church should look like. And for you and I, in this picture of, that Paul gives us in these opening verses, could not be more timely for us. We live in a polarized world uh, where our differences are seen as defining marks that breed contempt for those who disagree. We live in a world where everything you say is scrutinized and you are categorized based on your views on certain topics. It's a world where anger and bitterness are the primary emotions, and sarcasm and harshness are the native tongue. In this world that you and I have been called to live as the body of Christ, we are to walk in a different way, Paul says. We're not to walk like the world walks. We're to walk and live in unity. So I want us to look at these verses and see the contrast of a unified church in a polarized world. The first three chapters of Ephesians, taken as a set, are gospel truths that Paul uh, shines a light on to show the glorious work of God in saving a people for himself. And it shows how God has called us to be his bride and the work of Jesus. It's three chapters of incredible doctrine and truth. And Paul opens chapter 4 by saying, therefore. What he's saying is, in light of everything I've just said to you in the previous three chapters, here's some instruction for you. Here's how you should live, is what Paul is saying. The word walk in the New Testament typically deals with our manner of life. How, how do we live? Paul wants us to see that those who are in Christ need to live in a way that reflects life. He says, you should walk in a manner worthy for that for which you were called. And Paul begins his list of what that looks like with some characteristics. And those characteristics, if they're present in the life of an individual, uh, cannot help but produce unity in the corporate body known as the church. So what are those characteristics? Let's look at them. Uh, the first characteristic is humility. Humility is just this. It's seeing ourselves rightly. We don't usually have a problem with understanding that arrogance and pride are the opposite of humility. There's no place for boasting in uh, the body of Christ. But if we only see ourselves through the lens of um, self-hatred or self-condemnation, that's actually a version of pride. Because it puts us in the place of judge and not Jesus. See, humility is us viewing ourselves through the lens and the light of the gospel and understanding that our identity is wrapped up in Christ. And we're called to live lives of humility and see ourselves rightly before the Lord. The second characteristic he gives us is the characteristic of gentleness. Gentleness uh, just simply means this. It's us approaching the situa situation with the right perspective. It's not being angry when we shouldn't be angry. It doesn't mean weakness. 
It means uh, being firm enough in our understanding of the gospel and our identity in Jesus that we can approach circumstances with the right emotional response. Gentleness is a characteristic of our walk that is worthy. The third thing he says is patience. And patience just means this. It means waiting with a sense of hope. Patience doesn't mean this. I'm just going to wait and endure it because that's what patient people do. It's not this idea that we just put up with things. That's not biblical patience. Biblical patience is grounded in hope because I understand that God is working in the circumstances in and around me for my good and his glory. So patience is, is anchored in this reality that God's going to do something with what's happening. Bearing with one another in love is the fourth characteristic he gives. It's being able to extend grace to difficult people. That's what that means, the word bear with one another. You could actually translate it put up with one another. If we're honest, we need to admit that there are some people that are easier to bear with than others. But uh, we also need to understand this. If we're in a situation where it's hard to extend grace to another person, the problem is not with the other person. It is with us. Paul is saying, if you're going to walk in a way that is worthy of the calling, that you need to bear with one another in love. You need to see the other person that you disagree with or the difficult person as an image bearer of Christ and bear with them in love. So when we see these four characteristics, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, we, uh, what we also see is it generates this eagerness to maintain unity through the work of the Spirit. What Paul is saying is people whose lives are marked by patience, gentleness, humility, bearing with one another in love, if your lives are marked by that, if they're marked by the gospel, what we will try to do is we will try to build unity. We will be more and more eager to maintain that bond of peace that exists inside the church because we know this. We know the world's broken. And we know that God has called us to something different, to walk in a different way. So as we grow in maturity, as we mature in the gospel and the truth about what God has done, we will fight for the unity inside the church. I like what Michael Horton says, because it's not our church. Michael Horton says, it's not my church to shape into my image according to my own cultural preferences, ethnic background, politics, or socioeconomic location. It is Christ's community, and he is the location that we all share together. He is the demographic niche and the political rallying point of this kingdom. I still belong to other groups based on my cultural affinities, but my family is not something I choose. It is something I am chosen for. The words and sacraments of the world create affinity groups for those with similar tastes based on generational, socioeconomic, political, racial, and consumer demographics. However, when the Spirit comes through His Word and sacrament, the church becomes a cross-cultural community in the truest sense, defined by Christ's work rather than our own. That's a beautiful image of what the church looks like when it's unified. It's diverse. People hold different views. 
in our own congregation, there are people on different sides of the political aisle. There are people of different socioeconomic status. But we are united in unity, or we should be. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying here when he says, walk in a worthy, in a worthy manner that builds the unity inside the church. We need to kind of talk about this idea of unity. Are we talking about unity just for the sake of unity? Well, that's, that's not what we unify around. What we unify around, and Paul gives us some of those things we unify around in the rest of this text here. He says, we unify around truth or dogma, if you will. Uh, that's a set of principles laid down by God in the scriptures. That's what we unify around. The basis of our unity are gospel truths. And Paul says those, look at these, there's seven ones, if you will. There's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. Paul is saying we are unified because there is a unity inside the Trinity. If you think about the ultimate community is the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And inside that Trinity... There is mutual submission of Christ to the Father, the Spirit to the Son. And it is a picture of what it means to be unified for us. And Paul says, because Christ is our head, we are called to be one body. We are the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ. And so there can't be disunity in the body. There's one Spirit. That Spirit is the Spirit that unites all of us in a spirit of love and gives us the fuel for walking in obedience to Jesus and love toward one another. One hope. You and I, in these days, have a hope that's different than the world. Our hope is not a, man, I hope we win the lottery kind of hope. Our hope is anchored in the true and sure promises of God and that He is taking His people somewhere. That's what hope is in the Bible. There is one Lord. That is the most basic Christian creed. If you remember in Romans chapter 10, Paul says, if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. There is one Lord, there is one King, and His name is Jesus. There is one faith. We are gathered around a doctrinal uh, expression of who God is. That's the, that's the faith we hold dear. It's the creeds and the confessions and the biblical truths that you and I rally around. There is one faith. There is one baptism. I believe he's talking about there the baptism of the Spirit where you are called into and saved by the Spirit that unites us. And there is one God who rules and reigns over the universe. He created us, you and I, with dignity, worth, value, and purpose. And our first parents, Adam and Eve, uh, rejected that and tried to set up their own empire and rule. And because of that, sin came into the world. And our loving God put a plan in place to send His Son, Jesus, to live the life we couldn't live, die the death, we should have died so that you and I could be saved and reconciled to him. That one God 
is the God you and I serve and we are saved by and for. And so there must be unity among God's people in a world that is unbelievably polarized. If you think about it, God's people have always been different from the surrounding cultures they find themselves in. You think about the Israelites. They were surrounded by pagan cultures. And they were told to be different. It's what it means to be set apart. One of the defining characteristics of God's people has always been unity. In fact, King David writes in Psalm 133, verse 1, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. In David's opinion, there's nothing more needful, nothing more desirable, nothing, to, nothing more to be sought after than unity among God's people. And if you move from one Old Testament king to the true king, Jesus, who hours before he died prayed this in John 17. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life, that they may know you. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had before you existed, before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people who, gave, who you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you have given me. For they have received them and have come to know the truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as you and I are one, that they may be unified. Jesus is praying for his disciples right there, right? He's praying, I pray that they would be as unified, Father, as you and I are unified. Think about that. The Father and the Son, two of the persons of the Trinity, inseparable. Jesus says, I want the unity in the disciples to be as close-knit as it is between you and I. But Jesus goes on. He says, while I was with them, I kept them in your name. I've guarded them and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scriptures might be fulfilled. I am not of the world. If you move on down, I'm I'm not of the world. And they are not of the world. The world hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, Just as I am not, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. 
And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. Now listen to this next phrase. I do not ask for these alone. I'm not just praying for the disciples, Jesus said, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you and I. Jesus prays for you and I hours before he dies. What does he pray? I do not ask for these only, but for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. King Jesus himself prays for unity among you and I and the church globally, that we would be unified around the truth that there's one God, those seven ones, one God, one truth, one baptism, one spirit, one Lord. Jesus is praying in the garden moments before he's arrested and crucified that you and I would walk in unity with one another. Listen to why. He says, I pray that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe you sent me. What an incredible opportunity we have in front of us. In a world that grows more and more polarized every day, you and I have an opportunity to walk in a manner worthy of the call of Jesus, unified in love, in bearing with one another, in humility, in patience, in gentleness. And when the world sees that, they will be amazed and they will be drawn to the gospel of Jesus and the beauty and the truth of what God has done for us in his son. But it's not going to be easy. The phrase Paul uses, eager to maintain, it's an interesting phrase. It can also be translated to guard or protect. This unity that Paul is talking about isn't something that you and I are trying to generate. We're not trying to generate unity for the sake of unity. No, unity is given to us in the gospel. It's part of the gift. We are unified. What went wrong in the garden is undone by Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. And unity is part of becoming a Christian, unified with others. So we need to guard. If you think about the opening illustration of the guard at the tomb, you and I have been given a responsibility to guard the unity given to us by Jesus. So let me ask you a couple of questions that all of us need to think about in these days. Let's uh, work in reverse a little bit here. Are you a unifier? Because of your influence, have people been brought back together? Or does your presence tend to drive people apart? Think about your family, your friendships. Think about relationships in the context of this local church. Are you a unifier? Another question uh, we need to ask ourselves is this. Does our life exhibit the qualities that lead to unity? Are we humble? Are we gentle? Are we patient? Do we bear with one another in love? Those things are scarce these days. But we live in a world that needs those character traits, that needs the church to be unified. 
It's a high calling and a high honor we have to guard the unity. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word and the reminders that you have given us a gift of unity in your son Jesus by calling us into your family. Father, I pray that you would take uh, the words uh, that were said today, the things that are true and need to be listened to, I pray you would drive those into our hearts and minds and the rest of it, just let it fall away. God, we want to we wanna live in such a way, in such a unified way, that the world may believe that you sent Jesus to save them. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right. Thanks so much for joining us kind of after the sermon for a little it's post. After party. Yeah, after party. That's what it is. A little post-sermon uh, question and answer here. I got Vic. And, and just so everybody knows, we have not rehearsed this. Yes, this is totally off the cuff. Yeah. I did write down some questions. Um, and if you're still watching, that's great. All four of you, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> um, because you're probably like me and you have your kids who've been in the other room and you're trying to watch the sermon. And, and then at this point, it's just like the kids have overtaken you. So uh, for those of you little kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But let's dive deeper into this idea okay. of unity and let's get as practical as we can. Okay, All you right. didn't know this question was coming. Uh-oh, here Give me go. an example of someone that you've seen be a person of unity. You asked the question, you know, are you a unifier? Have you, you know, you don't have to say their name, but who is someone that you think about and what, did the, what does their life look like that has been a unifier? Wow. Um, it, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say the first thing that came to my mind, okay. and this isn't because I'm trying to get a raise, Carlos. <laughs> But last Tuesday, we had, a, we had a, a pastoral staff meeting with some people from the medical profession. And, and I think watching Carlos work in this time has been, uh, it's been really fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he's been very patient. He's, all, he's always patient, maybe to a flaw. Uh, <laughs> but he's very patient and he's gentle. Uh, it bears with people that have different opinions. It's been, it's been great to watch him in the middle of that. Uh, be what I would call a unifier and and you know a lot of pressure on yeah. him right now to hey when you know a lot of people are asking questions some yeah. of us even hey yeah. what are we doing when are we going to do it right but I think he's been he's been a good example of that during these days yeah. for what a unifier looks like yeah listening that, to other opinions and that makes sense because we have been a part of a local body here that has in the 12 years I've been here so unified it's I mean that's why one of the reasons I love being a part of this church yeah. is, is, it's pretty remarkable yeah. in the two decades I've been here not like like the the unity's been amazing it's, and it's yeah. because just the hearts of our people we yeah. we want to we want to fight to maintain that we want to guard that unity yeah. I think I think yeah, this a is a moment where, like, uh, unity could be destroyed. Oh, yes. And I so mean, it's, it's, that's why Paul gives this, this teaching. Yeah. We have to fight and guard it it's, right it now. Sounds, it sounds counterintuitive to say we've got to fight to be unified. Yeah. But there are some enemies against unity that we have to, we have to protect against. So. Yes. So one of the things that stood out to me was this idea of how um, big a deal humility is. Yeah. 
and bringing about unity. So touch on that just a little bit more. Like, why, why do you think humility is such an important part of being a unifier and, and, and the church itself like being full of people who are humble and therefore able to be unified? Yeah, I, I think one of, the, one of the reasons is humility stands out is because there's such a lack of it mm-hmm. culturally. Uh, we, we, and we, I'm going to throw me under this bus too, we tend to latch onto an idea uh, and we want to own it in a way that we use it as a club sometimes. And that's, not, that's just not humble. It's not, you know, the idea of humility is thinking of ourselves rightly, that we need to be uh, considerate of others it's not that you're not thinking about yourself. It's just you think about others more, their opinions. Uh, you, you're able to, to, to sympathize with their view, to kind of say, you know what, I see where they're coming from on that. And be willing. It, it's the, you and I have talked about this. I, it's this idea of being nuanced. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you want to jump into yeah, that yeah. right now, but yeah. it's this, uh, the, we live in an unnuanced world. And here's what I mean by nuanced. That, uh, that when I say unnuanced, the, the model of the media is built on clicks and views. Um, advertisers know that being nuanced doesn't sell. Politicians know it. Uh, it's, and what I mean by nuanced, it's somebody that has the ability to hold a both-and view. Yeah, yeah. And, and so when you have this hyper-partisan media catechized world, mm-hmm. it's, it's hard to hold. But it, if we're going to be churches that emerge from this with unity and fellowship intact, we've got to embrace uh, nuance, and that means we got to get away from the all caps world of Twitter, yeah. where we're shouting about everything. Um, but it, it's it's the path that says uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna be courageous. Um, how how do I want to say this? Uh, I, I want to be courageous and prudent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I want to avoid this idea that I, everything's okay. This sort of Pollyannish. And, this, and the opposite end of that, the doomsday response. It means we can be skeptical of some aspects of the lockdown without resorting to these outrageous conspiracy theories. Uh, we can honor governing authorities while at the same time uh, uh, pushing back civilly when it's called for. Uh, the, the, the countercultural nuance avoids thinking the worst of people and concedes, this is where it's hard, concedes that the other side of the debate is sometimes right yeah. and I am sometimes wrong. That's what I mean by nuanced. And, and that I think if you're not, nuance develops where people are humble and patient. Mm-hmm. And, and those are two characteristics that just do not exist in our culture right now. Yeah. Or at least if they exist, the volume's not turned up on them. Yeah, yeah, so. exactly. And that, that was kind of leads me into my next thought there that I mean, there's no doubt we are living in a world that has been completely polarized. It's, yeah. you, it's like you have to hold an opinion over here or over here. Pick your side. Yeah. And, yeah. and so if you think about the moment we're in right now, it, it's not that we're not capable or that we shouldn't have an opinion, right? It's, I mean, like all of us, are, we're not robots. We're going to have opinions right, about right. things. Yeah, that's not what unity means. Yeah. Yeah. So what does it look like to have an opinion on whether we wear a mask or not, or have an opinion on how long wow. we should shelter in place or <laughs> there not? There you go. Or like, what does it look like to have an opinion on these things, but still as like the church, knowing that someone over there has the exact opposite opinion, still be unified? 
So if you look at the text, it's a softball threat. Where, where Paul, where Paul says today, the text we looked at, uh, bear with one another in love. I, I think that is that's sort of a that's really loaded, and I didn't have time to really talk about what does that mean in love. When so so if you land on. Uh, we're, we're going to take both sides of this. So if you land on the side where you think all the precautions are a needless overreaction, here's the thing. What if it turns out you're right? So what? Can, can you not bear with one another in love? For, just lay aside your, uh, and sacri- sacrifice is what it's going to take. Sacrifice your ideal for a season out of love for someone that may hold mm-hmm. The, the different opinions. So when, if, if you think it's silly or, or maybe even an act of cowardice when we do come back for someone to not come back because they, they're not sure it's safe. Yeah. Well, then I think we need to heed Paul's uh, wisdom in Romans 14 where he says, don't pass judgment on one another. Um, and then in Corinthians 8, he says, be careful, uh, however, that your freedom doesn't become uh, a stumbling block. Um. But also, on the, on the same note, if you're in the camp uh, who thinks the lockdown should continue and we ought to be really hyper-cautious, you shouldn't be judgmental toward those who question the wisdom of the restrictions. Um, churches, we've got to be a place that strives to honor people on both sides of the spectrum. Um, and it's going to cost. Man, it's going to be costly. Yeah. Like, we've got we to gotta move from being the church on Zoom to the church in a room. <laughs> at some point, right? And, and it's going to be hard. Yeah. It's going to cost us because we're going to have to continue to stream video and record things. Uh, it's just hard work. It's, yeah. There's going to be a cost there. There's going to be a cost in uh, uh, just how we love one another. But I, but I think what Paul says in another place in Scripture, he says, outdo one another mm-hmm. in brotherly love. Yeah. And so if you and I disagree on that, like if I'm, a, if I'm a really cautious guy and you're like, man, let's just go. We don't need a mask or anything. We can hold those two opinions and be unified. What I'm gonna, what I need, the posture I need to take is to say, you know what? I'm not going to let Joel outdo me in love. I'm going to love Joel. And if Joel thinks we need to be free, then I'm going to let Joel be free. And, and the same thing is true. If I, if I think, man, it's silly to wear a mask, but you, you really feel like that's, important, then I need to say, you know what? I'm willing to sacrifice what I think because I want to outdo you in love. I'll wear a mask. Mm-hmm. That, to me, it's, it's a, it's, that may be oversimplified, yeah. but I think if you break it down to what Paul says about bearing with one another in love and outdoing one another in love, it, it, it's just acting like Jesus would act. Yeah. And that makes sense because in Ephesians 4, when he moves on, after he says, walk worthy in a manner which yeah. he called, he goes on to, in chapter 5, say, okay, now walk in love, be imitators of Christ. Yeah. And so to me, that's what unity is all about, is that it's those movements of us in humility and love towards each other, like taking that posture of, you know, th- this is not what I would do, but uh, like I, I can out, like you said, outdo you in showing love in that area. And you think about it, we, we do it all the time. We do it inside our family. Yeah. Like, like you, it, it, unless your family is very unusual yeah. from mine. Like six of us, we disagree on a lot of stuff. <laughs> but we, we love each other. And so we can put up with some stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, 
So we, it's, we can do it. It's just work. And, and I think we, we need to be willing, as Paul said, we need to be willing to put in the work to walk in a, in a manner worthy of yep. the call. We wish we could talk a lot longer yes. about this. We in could. fact, we may keep talking. Y'all can shut the door. Yeah. Uh, so this pretty much uh, finishes our service today. And uh, if you got questions, you want to shoot us a text or an email, you, you, most people can find us. So have a great day. Yeah.